From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Instead of feasting on the Seminoles for a post-Thanksgiving snack, 2020 served up a helping of Wildcats this past Saturday in the Swamp, with the Gators staying on the path to Atlanta after a 34-10 win. On today's show, we'll discuss Florida's victory over Kentucky and the return of Kyle Pitts with FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter. Then, junior running back Damian Pierce stops by to chat about his Georgia roots, how Coach Mullen's offense has made him a dual threat, and the running backs on his personal Mount Rushmore. But first, the Gators didn't quite light up the scoreboard to the degree that many expected they would against Kentucky, but they did show once again the ability to make critical second-half adjustments and remove some drama from the outcome. So to open our conversation with Scott, we addressed the expectations game and how it influenced the perception of their performance. Well, obviously a lot of people, Adam, had expected Florida to pitch a shutout and allow no yards. Uh, <laughs> that was the early takeaway I had. It was, it was uh, again, just one of those games where, you know, the defense uh, gave up some yards early and the initial reaction uh, by people during the game on social media was Todd Grantham and his defense were not doing the job. And it kind of makes me chuckle because at the end of that game, it was the best Florida defensive performance of the season. 221 yards allowed, 10 points. You know, Kentucky had 175 yards of offense, the same as the Gators. Uh, in the second half, they had 46. Uh, hmm. Florida had a lot more. But, you know, I think when you look at this season and these last two games, Vanderbilt and Kentucky, two programs that Florida has certainly owned uh, the last three decades, uh, I think people just were wanting to see you know, 65 to, to zero games. And, uh, you know, considering where the season is and what's ahead for this Florida team, those were probably a couple of hard sells for the players, and, you know, certainly not for the coaches, but, you know, the players at that game at Vandy, we talked about last week, just how unusual the atmosphere was. Being back home helped, but I, I give Kentucky some of the credit early. I mean, they – at one point, they had ran 37 plays to so the Gators' 15. Uh, so they were able to get their running game going and control the clock, and uh, and eventually the Gators solved that puzzle. And, you know, I think the, what, the biggest talking point after the game really was the, the sideline uh, banter between Mullen and, and Grantham, which, again, if you're around football, around practice, uh, that happens a lot. This time it just happened to get caught on cameras, and it was at a point where, you know, the Gators' defense, you know, they were giving up some yards at that point, and, and they made the adjustments, and it turned the game around. And uh, overall, just another another performance when maybe they didn't get as many style points as some people wanted, but they got exactly what they needed, and that was another win. They went 34-10, to 10, uh, sets them up this weekend to go up to Tennessee with a chance to, you know, clinch the SEC East. And that's the first thing that's on their, I guess, their punch list each year, Adam. So mm-hmm. they're in position to do that. And uh, that's really my 
if you're one, one takeaway from me from the Kentucky game, that's it. You know, there's a lot of things that happened in the 60 minutes, but in the end, Gators got a win and uh, they didn't stub their toe. Well, in, in terms of style points, too, I think part of what, what makes this unique situation is despite how weird this year is for the playoff in particular and trying to figure out, okay, well, can Ohio State play in the national championship if they played five games all year? And how do we compare that to a 10-gamer? This is a year where style points seem to be very important for almost everybody except for Florida. Because if you look at it, if Florida beats Tennessee and beats LSU and they beat Alabama, uh, style points don't matter. Florida's got, a, the I think, the most straightforward path that has almost nothing to do with the teams around them. So while I think in a lot of ways, every game from you know, Georgia on, I would say, because that's when you realize you're in the driver's seat, every game from Georgia on is, well, shouldn't they have won by more? And even if the answer is yes, it ultimately doesn't really matter in terms of the big picture goal of trying to win the SEC and and get to the playoff, right? No, it doesn't matter at all in the in the big picture. Uh, you know, I remember uh, earlier this week, Dan Mullen was asked, you know, how he manages Kyle Trask's Heisman bid, and his quote was, "Hey, it's easy, just win." You know, <laughs> it doesn't mean Kyle Trask is going to win the Heisman if the Gators win out. But it certainly increases his chances greatly if Florida can, you know, win the SEC East and beat Alabama and then get into the college football playoff. I think Kyle Trask, if he's not everyone's front runner right now, I think he certainly will be at that point. Um, But, you know, I think this season is so unique in so many ways uh, in terms of everything from the just the start and stop. It's been minimally it's mentally tiring each week, just who's playing, who's not, who's right. available, who's not. Then you have the whole offensive uh, explosion against defense. But every season does kind of take on its own personality. And for whatever reason, uh, it seems like there's a lot of style point chatter going on. I think it happens really every year in the Heisman race. But mm-hmm. the Gators, it's been a while since we've talked about it, Adam, because it's been a long time since the Gators have had anyone in the Heisman race. And, you know, you have to go back really to what the 2009 season Tebow's last year. Uh, So it's fun to uh, debate. It's fun to see reaction on social media, especially during the course of a game. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the coaches and players, I mean, this is, that's all secondary for them. They, they know that none of that matters if they go up to Tennessee and lose Saturday. Mm -hmm. Uh, None of that matters if they play LSU at home and lose. All the all this stuff that we're talking about, it's all off the books. So first and foremost, they have to win. And if they look good doing it and it helps Kyle Trask in the Heisman race, it helps the Gators' uh, offense in the national rankings, that's great. But uh, it's not going to do anything in terms of uh, them winning a national title until that last game, right. <laughs> you know, if they, if they get there. So – so, I, like I said, it's just fun to gives us something to talk about, right? No, it's very true, and it, it just you know it, it makes me think about the you know the statistics you see. Uh, I saw in the ESPN their uh, their predictor of who's going to make the playoff. It shows Florida with a thirteen percent chance of making it, and then it shows Cincinnati with a thirteen percent chance of making it. But they're so so different because Florida's thirteen percent chance is entirely within its own hands, whereas Cincinnati's is a thirteen percent 
completely reliant on all sorts of other dominoes falling that they can't control. So again, I guess what it brings it back to for me is that Florida is in control. Whether they can win the three games in front of them and make the playoff, that's another story, but it's not a situation where you need help. And if you're trying to make a run, you want that destiny in your own hands and not having to root for someone to lose or try and, you know, have some crazy sequence of events happen that you need to get where you want to go. You're driving the car and it's up to you. That That's the position any team wants to be in at this stage of the year. Yeah. And considering 2020, what a benefit that is to be in that position. Sure. Because, uh, you know, so much has been uncertain all year. And, you know, after the Gators went out and lost that game against Texas A&M, uh, they, they put themselves in a little more difficult position. But then, uh, you know, Georgia lost again or lost. And then, of course, that head-to-head matchup was going to be the biggest game of the year in the SEC East race. And they took care of that one. And and now since then, you're right, they've had their total control and, and it's still there for them. And uh, I'm just hoping that, you know, it works out like we're all kind of talking about because I – I will be excited to watch an Alabama-Florida SEC championship in a way that I, I wasn't necessarily in 15 and 16 because I do think this Florida team, if it gets there, is in a much better position uh, to compete with Alabama. And as a guy who likes offense, Adam, <laughs> I'm one of those guys who likes offense more than defense. I'd much rather watch a 45-41 game than a 10-7 to game. Hey, I'm all I'm all for it because I think that's the kind of game that we might see. Yeah, it'll be more entertaining for sure. Um, and you know, if Florida's going to compete in a game like that. It'll it'll help to have Kyle Pitts back. Uh, we saw the impact he made on Saturday. You know, it's crazy you think about the fact that he missed two games, so he's only played in six games this season, and yet he has more touchdowns than any tight end in the country did in all of 2019. So he has surpassed. Yeah anyone's total from a minimum 12 game season in what has been for him a six game season and you know it's obviously it's a huge huge boost to Kyle Trask's Heisman chances to have Pitts out there who is just he's such an incredible mismatch you don't see this that often I feel like in college where there's a guy who no one can stop no matter what you do he is simply too much of a freak physically and and skill wise to where if he wants it he he's going to get it. I mean, that's, that's an incredible weapon to have. It is. And, you know, really it's five and a half games if you want to break it down because you yeah, know, you're right. the second half of Georgia. Just an unbelievable player. And I don't even know if we knew he was a good player really since he got here. And, of course, he had a breakout season last year, but he just looks – I mean, he just looks even better than I imagined this year. Mm-hmm. And I, when I think about those mismatches that you brought up, I mean, you know, just off the top of my head here – I. I think the last player that I can remember in the SEC, maybe I, I just remember watching Davian Clowney when he was at South Carolina. Yeah. He was that kind of physical freak who just, no matter who they blocked against him, he was able to make plays. Uh, of course, he was on the other side of the ball. In, in, in the Gators' history, I only come along ever so often. And again, it's been a while since Fortis had one. And Kyle Pitts, if it does come down to the Gators playing out and you know having a chance at a national championship he is going to be such a a weapon for them to be able to utilize because no matter who they play uh they're they're not going to really be able to guard him one-on-one they're going to have to do something defensively 
And you know what? Even if they take him away or limit him, Florida has so many other weapons that mm-hmm. that, that helps them in some way. So whether it's Kyle Pitts making, uh, what, three touchdown receptions like he did against Kentucky, only on five catches, and, and just really establishing the tone early offensively for the Gators, I think on their – their sixth play of the game, he had that 56-yard touchdown. Right away, you, hey, he's back. And Dan Mullen, he wishes he could clone the guy. <laughs> I think everyone wishes they could have a Kyle Pitts clone. They'd be uh, much better off at the tight end position for sure. Um, you know, d- despite the return of Pitts and some of those numbers, Dan Mullen was disappointed after the game in the execution. And he talked about not being very efficient. It's funny thing about how far we've come. Uh, when discussing Florida, that now 34 points is considered a disappointing offensive performance. Uh, you know, in the must-champ years, people would have killed to have half of that on the board in some games. But, uh, you know, in terms of what it means going forward and how Florida gets better, because, again, back-to-back weeks, not the strongest performance. It's not what most people, especially externally, were looking for. What is your sense from Dan Mullen and the players you've so, you've spoken with this week about what improving that offense efficiency means and how it translates to this trip to Tennessee? I think the two biggest factors were red zone and third down. They were three of nine on third down against Kentucky. They had been much better than that for most of the season. Uh, Brian Johnson highlighted that, you know, they left eight points uh, on the field in the red zone. Those are areas that they're going to want to improve. It's areas that Really, they were clicking in all season, and and it slowed down a little bit the last couple of games. And I'm sure some of that probably is maybe you know not having pits uh, against Vanderbilt. Uh, then they got him back in Kentucky, and again, it was one of those performances where uh, it maybe wasn't as crisp as what they wanted. Uh, but I think the offensive line it didn't have its best game of the season against Kentucky. I think that's an area that will obviously help uh, if they're playing better up there. Uh, they were banged up a little bit with Stuart Reese and Gene Lance. Those guys have been playing through injuries. I think, you know, getting those guys healthier will help. But really, you know, what's happened, Adam, is they've performed at such a high level. The standard is so high. And now they're trying to get that every week. I mean, like you said, 34 points. Most years, that would they'll take that any days. But when you've scored 35 or more, in a school record nine consecutive games until last week, you know, your expectation is raised. And Mm -hmm. that goes all the way down to the fans, to the players, to the coaches. So that that's a good problem to have. But again, it goes all back to winning. They want to win their way with their style, uh, with their offensive efficiency. Uh, But the most important one will always be the points on the board at the end of the game. And, and that's what they'll look for up in Tennessee. And let's talk a little bit about Tennessee. Uh, I feel like this is a, uh, you could have played this a year ago or two or three years ago, uh, and it would have still been true. Tennessee not living up to the expectations that a lot of people had for them. There was a sense, based on how they finished last year, that uh, you know they had overcome the hump and Jerry yep. Pruitt was taking them to the top. And we've heard that narrative so many times recently. Um, and it's it's entertaining if you know a lot of Tennessee people like I do to be able to remind them that it's not quite happening the way they said it would. Uh, but it's been it's been a pretty disappointing year for them. They're just two and five. Uh, you know that early optimism has mostly disappeared. Yet having said that, it is still Tennessee. It's still Rocky Top, right? And we're in that stage of the game now where 
a win over a team like Florida, especially a rival, given what they have riding on it, that would be a, a season maker, right? The ability to deny a championship run to one of your, your biggest rivals. So what are the expectations for what we're going to see from this Tennessee team? Uh, obviously not a checkerboarded stadium the way they have in the past, but what have we heard from Jeremy Pruitt? What do we think we're going to see from the Volunteers? Well, one of the big things he said on the SEC media teleconference this week, you know, Harrison Bailey, the young quarterback, uh, we're going to definitely see him in some capacity. Uh, so I, it sounds like to me Tennessee will uh, probably be using multiple quarterbacks, but Bailey may be uh, the guy who's going to get most of the reps. I think you look at the Tennessee program, you know, it, Jeremy Pruitt's in his third year there. And, and you're right, you look at the way they they finished last season, they had a lot of momentum going into 2020. Uh, and you could probably make the argument with everything that's happened in our world and what its impact been on college football, Tennessee's probably one of those programs that's been hurt the most because, you know, they lost uh, spring like everybody else. I mean, everybody's dealing with everything the same, but you just felt like Tennessee, they, they've lost a lot of their, their momentum that they had last year. You know, Pruitt was pointing out that, you know, there's 50 freshmen and sophomores on their roster who've never had a spring practice yet. Hmm. So it's a, it's just a very young team trying to find their way. They've had some COVID issues recently uh, that's impacted their program in a way that Florida was impacted earlier in the season. So uh, they're just trying to uh, – this would obviously make their season. Uh, the Tennessee-Florida rivalry, you know, if you're of a certain age, you remember it a lot differently than what it has been the last 15, 16 years. It's been all Florida except 2016 up in Knoxville. Uh, but it, this, like I said, this would make their season because they know that the Gators are coming up there uh, with a chance to win the SEC East on their home field. Uh, they would love nothing more than to uh, spoil that day uh, for the Gators. I, but I look at Tennessee really not only just with Pruitt, ever since Phil Fulmer stepped down as coach, I mean, it's been a, it's been a program that's kind of been uh, in turmoil for the most part other than a couple of years when Butch Jones seemingly had things working, but then they really crashed hard. And that's when Jeremy Pruitt came in. And it, I think it's a rebuilding project. I think it's one of the tougher schools uh, in the SEC to recruit at because Tennessee as a state does not produce a lot of top tier talent. Uh, they have to go out of state to get most of their players uh, in Georgia and Florida and the Carolinas and Alabama. And guess what? That's where Alabama, Georgia, Florida are. So uh, it's it's. I don't know if we'll we'll ever see Tennessee like we remember in the '90s uh, with Florida. But every year that these teams play, it's always a big game and and a good rivalry still. And again, if you're a, if you're Jeremy Pruitt, you're saying, hey, we got a chance to to ruin Florida season. So I'm sure that's a lot of their motivation up there this uh, this week. Yeah, Tennessee in a lot of ways feels almost like Nebraska in terms yep. of a program that you know had its heyday in the in the '90s. But if you look just again at the the recruiting landscape and the realities of the game today, hard to see programs like that getting back to to where they were back in the day. But uh, again, all you have to do in, in in this game, all you gotta do is be good for one day, and you can change the change the trajectory of a race. So certainly. Uh, Tennessee has Florida's attention. There's no question about that. Um, moving on to our PAT for this week, uh, I wanted to talk about inspirational stories. 
Um, the, uh, the the genesis of this, of course, was the Sarah Fuller story at Vanderbilt this week, which really you know took over the sports world and, and caught it by storm. Um, and for a lot of people, especially young girls, it's inspirational to see someone like her get into the position she was in. And that's what made me think about you know great inspirational stories, but not just ones you've viewed from afar, ones you've you know personally covered and been engaged with. And uh, as long as as long as as you guys <laughs> have been out there uh, reporting, I'm sure there's a, a few that have come across your desk that maybe maybe didn't make national news or that, that a lot of people wouldn't know about. So I'm curious what stories stand out when you think about inspirational ones that you personally had a chance to, to cover and to follow. Well, I mean, there's several, Adam, but the one that sticks out the most did make national news. And in fact, Hollywood made a movie about it. Uh, when I was covering the Devil Rays, I mean, they had a, a pitcher named Jim Morris. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, here was a guy who was a high school baseball coach out in Texas and He'd been a former uh, prospect, hurt his arm when he was young, and had gotten away from the game for many years. And he was still in his mid-30s by the time, uh, you know, he would throw batting practice to his high school team he was coaching. And the players on the team, they're like, my God, you, you're throwing like 95 miles per hour. Uh, and they talked him into a trying out. So he shows up at a tryout, and the Devil Rays were looking for any, any good stories back then because they were you know <laughs> the worst franchise in the majors <laughs> at the time so they signed this guy and he uh, he makes some a couple of minor league starts and the next thing you know he's in the major leagues pitching for the tampa bay devil rays and you know they made a movie dennis quaid starred as uh jim morris and the rookie oh, the rookie yes yeah. that uh i remember uh dennis quaid coming to a spring training game one year and we talked to him in the dugout and morris you know they were promoting the movie at that time and it was a his career with the Rays was short-lived, but uh, just the story itself, I mean, it's one of those that there's a reason why Disney and Hollywood got involved because it was such a remarkable story. So that one is one that will always stick with me. But, you know, you do this long enough, you're right. You, you A lot of times, you're, sometimes your most imp- inspirational stories really begin with tragedy, and I, I covered one of those in my first job. Uh, in Brooksville, Florida. I mean, I'd only been out of UF for maybe six, seven months, and Mike Imhoff was the head coach at Hernando High School, the football coach. He's a just a big, strong, good-looking guy. Had played college football at Michigan State with Kurt, Kurt Gibson, the, uh, the baseball player. But anyway, he had settled in Brooksville and uh, was a teacher at Hernando High, was a head football coach. They had a future Gator on that team who I got to know. Anyway, games, I would cover the games on the sideline. He'd always say, hey, newspaper man. (laughs) It was John Capel, the uh, future Gators receiver and Olympic sprinter. He was on that team. But anyway, uh, after the season, uh, Imhoff and another teacher at the school, they were just in a truck and they saw a student they knew on the side of the road who looked like he was in distress. And they stopped and this guy kind of flipped and he, he shot them both and killed them. And it was it was just a very tragic story, but uh, over that time, you you know the school really rallied around his death, and he just had been married, and his wife was pregnant. And mm. I remember uh, writing a story a year later, uh, the baby was now born, and his uh, widow had become such a fabric of the school, and the community really rallied around her and her new baby, and. It was just one of those stories. Like I said, it was born out of tragedy. It's hard to find something good out of a story like that. But that was the kind of community where 
people really cared for each other, there was some good that came out of it. So, you know, that kind, that kind of story resonates with me. Austin Perry, the, the Gators uh, walk-on, I don't know if you remember this couple of years ago, they blocked the punt, and or uh, I think it was a blocked field goal. He picked it up, ran for a two-point score, you know, returned hmm. it. Yeah. And anyway, his father was Emmett Smith's uh, fullback blocker at Florida back in the day, and so Daryl Perry is his father, and Daryl Perry had a stroke a few years ago. He really needed some help, and Emmett Smith rallied around him, so... I remember writing around that story, talking to Emmett last year when it happened. And, you know, Austin Perry, who's still on the Gators team, he doesn't play much, but he's a guy, he goes out to Emmett's house in Dallas every summer and hmm. hangs out with him. So, you know, those stories like that, they're, they're great to tell. They're fun to tell. Um, and those, as long as I do this, I mean, I, those are always my favorite stories. Uh, they're the ones who, they don't necessarily get the most clicks in the moment, Adam, mm-hmm. but for the people who invest in them, they're the ones you hear most from readers and from viewers. And it's always rewarding when you're a storyteller that somebody took the time to not only read your work or, you know, whatever it is, and they actually respond and share their own stories sometimes or just say thank you. So, yeah, we need a, we need a few more of those inspirational stories in 2020. Yeah, no, we do. Um, Hopefully we get more of them as we turn the page and start to find out how 2021 is going to be different than 2020 for a lot of reasons. Um, and yeah, and hopefully some of those are local stories that you have a chance to tell and, and add to the, uh, the, the pantheon you just listed a moment ago. So thank you, Scott. All right. Thanks, Adam. It's no secret that Florida's offensive recruiting has seen a major uptick in the Dan Mullen era. And that's certainly proven by looking at the talent in the running backs room. While Malik Davis and Naquan Wright have been critical pieces of the puzzle, junior Damian Pierce has become the lead back this season after growing under the tutelage of Jordan Scarlett and LaMichael Pirine. We spoke to the Georgia native about the season he's having and how high this team can climb, but began by learning about his early days in the Deep South, clearly evident through his Georgia drawl. Uh, born and raised, you know, I've been embarrassed my whole life, you know, just me, my mama, my brother, my sister. I got an older brother, young sister. Never really moved around, you know, far city-wise, but I know it just been me, my mama, my brother, my sister, pretty much the whole ride. When did you start playing football? What, what do you remember about when you first got involved in the game? Well, I remember my mom just signed me up, and one day after school, she said, we finna go get some pads. <laughs> and hey, it went from there. Did, did she always want you to play? Like, what gave her the idea to, to get you in, into, into ball? I was in the hospital. I believe it or not, I was quiet, bro. Like, I used to stay to my side. I used to be in my room a lot. So she just needed me to get, out, get outside get some fresh air because everybody else was doing it. So why not me? Do you remember how old you were? And was it, like, immediate that you loved it? It was eight. I was eight years old, and I scored the first time I touched the ball. So, you know, that's love at first sight. That me. Wow. Was it, was it a handoff? Was it pass? What was it? It was uh, outside zone to the left. Oh, wow. You still remember it. Okay. Yeah, outside, left, outside, right, inside, left, inside, right. The play we had. Wow, that's true. I guess at that level, it's not a very, it's not a complicated playbook, I guess, is it? <laughs> um, so, okay, so when when did it take off for you? Like from the moment of you touch the ball, you score, to getting into it in high school and, and you know, becoming like a, a real talent in the field. How did that happen for you? What was that like? Um, how do like you asking like how I knew like I was gonna be special one day? Yeah, yeah. How how did you know that you were gonna be special or that was something you had the the potential to do? Uh, every time I touched it, like 
from then on, like, you know, it was just a reoccurring thing. Like, it seemed like every time I had the ball, like, I scored, I got close to scoring, and, um, you know, it only progressed the older I got. So when you get into high school, and at this point, this is when recruiting starts, right? This is when people are looking at you. Uh, you had Alabama, FSU, Georgia, Miami, Auburn, Moore. What do you remember about when the recruiting process started and what it was like to start getting, you know, all these these opportunities coming in? No, it was crazy at first. You no, know, I got my first offer, like, uh, I think summer 10th grade. Because I really thought, like, I thought I wasn't going to get no offers because, like, I had ball for me, you know, ball sophomore. Y'all like, dang, I ain't finna get no offers. And then, <laughs> and then Cole Horton called me from Auburn, and then he gave me my first offer, and it went from there. So once you get one, I feel like that's what everyone says. When you get one big school, suddenly a lot of other ones start coming. Is that how it works? It's definitely a domino effect. Yeah. So once you started getting all that attention, how did you how did you kind of sift through all that? Like, how did you decide? Okay, this I'm taking a visit here. This is what I'm looking for. How did you decide what it was that you wanted? Uh, honestly, I ain't take that many visits to be honest with you. Cause like being in the South Georgia, you know everything like at least four to five hours away. Mm-hmm. So like you know, I was very limited when I was visiting, but um, I did go to Tuscaloosa. I did commit to Bama for like a year and a half before uh committing to Florida. But uh, that was because I went to Alabama. Like if I took ten visits, I went to Alabama like four times. Hmm. So I was more com- I was most comfortable with Alabama. You know, I love the coaches and uh, I love the staff there. But um. I ultimately end up decommitting from Alabama and coming to Florida. So Alabama's got a uh, they got a nice long line of really successful running backs under under Coach Saban. Uh, what was it that Florida provided that you saw in Florida that made you leave that situation in Alabama, which you know, probably would have been a pretty good situation for you? Just um just, just you know, the difference in the coaching, you know. I had met Coach Sider here my uh some of my junior year going to my senior year, I had met Coach Sider, you know, we hit it off. You know, you know, we had a connection, you know, he was a real great guy, you know, he aligned with me and um, I liked him as a coach and as a person, you know, you know, everything just felt right. So before you ended up leaving high school, you broke Herschel Walker's state rushing record. Is that right? Mm-hmm. What I mean, what did that mean to you? Did that when, when you know, when you're that age, do you have a sense of the history of what that means or, or maybe not? Uh, at the time. Um, no, I was just I was just grateful, you know, to be, you know, in the same breath as Herschel Walker. You know, that's Herschel, you know, one of the best bats ever. So, you know, being in the same breath with Herschel, you know, it was an honor. And um, it was just another milestone in my career that, you know, I'm proud of. Did you ever hear from him after you broke his record? Oh, no, 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 I ain't hear from Herschel. No, he didn't call you up or anything? Nah, he didn't call me. I was going to Florida. You know, he went to Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, like that. <laughs> yeah, if you committed to Georgia, maybe, maybe he congratulate you. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. If you saw, if, if Herschel walked in right now, would you would you let him know you broke his record? Would you would you remind him of that? Nah, man. I just you know that's the goal. I just try to learn something else from him. That's <laughs> you feel. <me? laughs> I, I I might at least tell him right. Just make make sure he knows about it. Nah, I ain't gonna say if it come up in conversation. I ain't gonna sway away from it. Nah, right, but... <laughs> right, right. If it just casually comes up that I broke your record, by the way, that you had uh, thirty years ago. Um, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So you end up coming to Florida. Who are the biggest mentors for you? Who are the guys you looked up to when you came in? Piran off bat, you know, um, Piran and Scarlett, my freshman year. Cause you know, them boys, you know, they got me right with the playbook. You know, they really, you know, they really helped me get confident in my game. And you know, they just stayed, they just kept me on the right path pretty much. And, um, uh, really 
help me get where I'm at right now. Well, you know, looking at, at your spot too on the field, like you can always have running backs that share carries, but obviously Scarlett, P. Ryan, they took the bulk of those your first year. Last year, P. Ryan was really the feature guy and you sort of had to be the backup in a, in a way. You know, how, how does that relationship work with those guys? Because you're, you're obviously together and you're supporting each other, but you're also competing. There's only, there's only one rock, right? So how do you guys, how do you ultimately grow from that and not have it be a, a negative thing? Uh, you know, if you got a room full of guys who, um, who committed to getting each other better every day and, um, and who have like a genuine bond, you know, you don't even think about things like that. You know, for us, the most part, you know, we were just learning from each other, getting each other right before we got out on the field Saturdays. Like if P. Ryan went out there, and he had a bad run, so we'll let him know. And um, vice versa, if I had a bad run, he'll let me know. And, you know, we kind of coaching each other on the fly, getting each other better. How much did you learn from them that you now take on as being an upperclassman and one of the older guys in that same room where you used to be the one looking up to people? I have to say 80% of it, you know, especially from the mental aspect of the game. You know, running you know, running the ball, that's, that's just your natural ability, you know. Mm-hmm. Everybody got their own little thing, you know, their own little spice they bring to the game or whatever. But as far as like playbooks, you know, protections, you know, where to run the ball initially, you know, all that. I don't learn the majority of that from Scarlett and Piran and just being behind those guys. So those guys are both in the NFL now. Uh, what's it like for you seeing them play on Sundays? And, and do you ever get to talk to them about what they're going through at the next level? Yeah, man, you know, we stay in contact. You no, know, it ain't no everyday thing because, you know, they handling their business. I'm handling mine. But, you know, every time, you know, every time he posts something, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm in the comments. He'll comment on my his side up. You know, just check in on me for time to time. But, um, you know, seeing them in the NFL, you know, it's a motivation for me. You know, in high school, I really didn't have nobody to look up to in high school. You know, everybody was looking up to me in a sense because, like, you know, I'm, I'm at Florida. You know, I'm having a great career here, you know. So everybody looking up to me, but I didn't have that for myself. So this is really the first time I had somebody to look up to and, you know, have like have some dreams to chase, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, what what other guys do you look up to in terms of the way they play the game? Like what backs, who's on your, your running back Mount Rushmore? Who are the guys you've always looked at and taken inspiration from? ALT. Yeah, I was going to be, I, I just knew I was ALT when I was little. Daniel Thomas is 21. And then no San Marino. I used to try to get number 24 in Little League. That's a controversial one there. <laughs> that one I was little, though. You know, this, this not before that. We, not that. This yeah. before we even get to high school. And then Gurley, you know, I fell in love with Gurley. Gurley was my favorite running back. He's still, he still my top three now. And then uh, Emmett. Got to look at Emmett. You know, he'll go Barry. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's about it for me. Like, in terms of who I tried to, you know, emulate my game after who I tried to copy or be when I wanted to grow up when I was little. Those were about top, top five in my book. Outside of just being successful, which those guys are, what specific things did you take from them? Like, what was it about Barry's game? What was it about LT's game that you looked at and said, let me let me try and do that? Okay, Barry was like a sudden back, you know, quick, you know, great at changing direction. You know, he can make you miss at any time and take it the distance. And Gurley, you know, he was a bigger back. You know, it was this was when, you know, back over six foot wasn't really playing football. You know, so he was really like the first of that breed to come through. Mm-hmm. And just seeing a bigger bat, you know, run like a smaller bat, you know, that was just, I just like the power he ran with. And then the finesse he can show at times. And then like LT, LT was like flashy, you know, he going to make your plays, he going to get in the end zone, he going to celebrate, mm-hmm. you know. So like all that, I just try to add all that to my game, you know, have a perfect balance of it. With the guys that you're surrounded with right now and in this current running back room, what do you think each of those guys brings to the table? What makes this such a complete group that you have right now? 
Yeah, this running back room, you know, you got a little more strength strengthened down here running with me and Malik. You know, he's a bigger threat out of the backfield. You know, he he can make he can make any catch out of the backfield. You know, he's basically a receiver. Mm-hmm. And Naquan, you know, he kind of he kind of the perfect mix between me and Malik because he got quick feet like a cat, but he got a low center of gravity. You know, he can get up on the guys and move the ball forward at any time. And also, he could come out of the backfield and make any catch. So that that will make this running back room, you know, fun and unique. You know, we all. We all bring something different to the table every time we touch the field, you know, and open up opportunities on offense. Mm-hmm. Well, in terms of catching the ball, too, that's become a, a really big hallmark for, for this team this year, especially. It seems like you guys are just as often making plays down the field as you are out of the backfield. So what, what's that been like, having that become such a big part of the offense this year? And in some cases, you know, more of the plays you guys are making are, are with receive, you know, on the receiving side than, than on the running side. Uh, you know, that was a big transition for me. You know, in high school, you know, I really wasn't. I wouldn't, I wouldn't label myself a three-down back in high school simply because I just didn't, you know, I wasn't used to it. I wasn't used to coming out of the backfield catching balls. But, you know, when we came to college, when Coach Munley came in, you know, that, ro- that running back role changed, you know. We had to be a pass protector. We had to be a receiver out of the backfield. We had to be able to run the ball. You know, we had to be able to, you know, we got to be able to do all three of those things at a high level. And um, with the offense we got this year, you know, that has, you know, it helped me become a better, more complete player overall. And I think that's a good thing because, you know, catching the ball out of backfield, you know, that opened up different opportunities for, you know, you can make different plays instead of just, you know, your traditional inside zone, outside zone, running the ball, bruising people. You know, you can get in the space, you know, work a little. Do you prefer a long touchdown catch coming out of the backfield or you would just want to take a handoff and, and, and run over some people through the line? What, what's, what's the preferred route of scoring if you had to choose? My preferred route getting that getting that rock makers on happen. That's my preferred. <laughs> <laughs> knock, knock over a few people in the process, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, bowling ball. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, all right, so to, to that point, um, I'm curious, on the practice field, which teammates are the toughest to get by? Like, who, who do you come up in in practice and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to get by this guy this time? I hate playing Brad Stewart in space. Hmm. I hate Brad Stewart in space. So he won't budge. He just won't budge. <laughs> Sometimes you'll get him. Like, but when you get him, it got to be a great move. It got to be a great move. You got to earn it, right? You got to earn it. You got to earn it with Ventrell, too. You know, Ventrell, you know, he's a textbook player. You know, he's he going to take his right angles. And, you know, he's going to fit correctly. Uh, Marco. Hate Marco in space. <laughs> I hate I hate going against Marco in space. But uh, that's about, that's about my three right now. That's about the three pests. That's one of the pests I come along on the defense. Yeah. All right, so this is a fun one. Let's flip it around. Who are the guys that you most often victimize on the practice field? Who who does not want to see you coming out of the backfield? Scout team. We be doing them so wrong. We just be doing <laughs> scout team so wrong. <laughs> but, hey, that's what they do for. You know, they trying to get us better. But, bro, they be trying, though. I can give them that. They be trying. <laughs> Who was the last guy in practice you remember putting like the best stiff arm on? Who who's the last person that you got to to talk a little bit to after the fact? You know, see that's that's the thing. See, in practice, bro, I don't be doing all that. I ain't no No, not even a little bit? Nah, to be honest with you, you know, I'd be trying to say that for, you know, the opposing color. You know, when you see another <laughs> team, I, I smell blood when I see another team. But when I'm out there with my boys, you know, my teammates, yeah, we're on the football field, we ain't friends, but like you know, like you know them your boys, you know. Mm. So y'all be out there, you know, it's it's competitive, but like competitive to an extent you know what i'm saying yeah, we gotta keep everybody healthy going on saturday no, that's true that's true okay so let me let me flip that then so on saturdays especially ones you can remember 
who is the last guy that you dominated that you you put a little took a, a mental picture of? Last play you really remember that that you look back on? The best play from this year I remember was probably Missouri. You know, I got jiggy. Like, <laughs> like you said, we got the ball out the bike field. Made a couple guys misses. You know, I finished the run nicely. If you had to choose a favorite run or a favorite play of your career, career, w- w- yeah, what what do you think? Which ones do you think back on? Ooh. Uh, that's got to be in uh, that Missouri play got to be in uh, and um, I want to say freshman year Tennessee, and that was for like that was just like something like that I will remember like from freshman year like that's probably the best play I made mean, freshman year in uh South Carolina got to put South Carolina in uh and then uh yeah that's about it that's about it on the top of my head that's about it oh so yeah I was gonna talk to you about Georgia right so obviously it's it's Tennessee week right now uh but. Earlier this year, you had a chance to beat Georgia right after two years of not pulling it off, being a Georgia guy. What did that mean to uh, to beat the Bulldogs a few weeks ago? You know, that game is personal to me. You know, not only not only because I'm from Georgia, but it's because Kirby from Bainbridge. So, you know, Kirby done had the upper hand on me the past two years. You know, it felt good to be up on Kirby for once. <laughs> <laughs> That's about, you know, I feel good with that. You know, beating Georgia, beating Kirby. Talk a little smack now when I go home, you know, everybody love them Bulldogs when I go home. Now I got That's a little right. I got a little edge on them. Oh yeah, I was gonna ask you, is there have you have you had the chance to get in a lot of that uh, that friendly trash talk since you, you beat the Bulldogs? Mm, I ain't been home. I ain't been to Bayman since uh since we got back from quarantine to be honest with you, but uh I'll be sure to stop by all the Bulldog highs. Don't worry <laughs> about it. Don't even worry about it. Who, who, yeah, who's on the li- when you get home, who's on the list of people you're gonna gonna remind what happened uh, last month? Everybody. You know, everybody's a Georgia fan. Everybody. <laughs> every time they see me, they bring up the Bulldogs. So as soon as I speak to them and they don't bring them up, I'm like, so, 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 so what's up with the puppies? What, what's up with your dogs, man? What's up with your dogs? <laughs> that, that's, how, that's how you'll know that you've you've won, right? You've got them at that point. I, brag, I got bragging rights until next year. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, uh, you, you mentioned quarantine. Um, thinking back on that period, I'm curious – what did you do to, to keep yourself entertained? Was there like a, a new TV show you got into? What was it that they kept you going during that time? Uh, run with you. Quarantine was like, you know, that was my heaven, you know. I was forced to stay in the house. So I'll be in the house anyway. I guess you could say I'm an extroverted introvert, if that makes sense. Okay. Like, Explain that. Like, I speak to everybody. Yeah, I love everybody. I'm cool. You know, I can, you know we, can, we can hang out. I'm a fun guy to be around, but, you know. At the end of the day, you know, I, I'd rather be home in my room chilling, you know, having my downtime and you know, having time to myself. So, you know, quarantine, you know, that was a good thing for me personally. So what what did that downtime include? Like if, if you know you've got some downtime and no one's going to bother you, what's on the, the agenda for what you want to accomplish? Most likely I'm going to be on Call of Duty. If okay. I'm going to be on Call of Duty, watching TV, getting fat. <laughs> <laughs> but if I'm home, you know, uh, you know, I'll be with my dogs. You know, I like my pets. I love my pets. So I'll be out the door with my dogs. I'll probably get a workout or two in in the backyard, let them run around, you know, take them on a quick little walk. And, you know, you know, go see my family. You know, I go out to the country, see my grandma, talk to my mama, talk her head off real quick. And, you know, you know just hang out and chill the rest of the day. Uh, so how, how did you stay in shape during quarantine? How did you, you know, how do you get workouts? And if you don't have anybody to uh, to go up against, how, how did you how did you grow? How did you make sure you were staying sharp? Um, no, that I just did good old fashioned backyard workouts, you know. Me and my and I had my little brothers, had my little brothers with me, you know. I'm trying to get them right too, you know, because they got they got the same aspirations I have, you know, being in the NFL one day. 
So, you know, I'm out there. I'm really playing the coach role while also training myself. So, you know, they them seeing me, them seeing me work hard, you know, hopefully I rub off on them so they can keep up the pace when I leave. But as far as, you know, keeping myself sharp, you know, I just did, you know, most of the drills we do, you know, during our individual period here. So when I whenever we did come back, you know, I wouldn't be offbeat. You know, I could still do the drills, you know, how I need them doing them at the pace I needed to. So if you had to choose one teammate to spend the entire quarantine period with, who would it be and why? It's my roommate, Emery. My roommate. My boy, Emery. What, what is it about that that works? That's my boy. Like, we... <laughs> If I had to be locked up, like, if I had to be quarantined with somebody, it's going to be him. Like, that's my boy. That's my dog. Like, we just, we both enjoy it. You know, we both act the same. We both goofy. You know, it's just going to work. It's just a good mix. <laughs> what What do you guys do when you hang out? Like, what's what's the go-to? Like, you got to pop on Netflix or? That's the thing, bro. We don't know. Whatever happens, just happens. <laughs> it's going to be funny. <laughs> like, whatever happens, just happens. <laughs> um. Okay, so you see where this is going, right? What's the flip side of that? Who is the one guy you could not spend that entire three to four month period with lockdown? Oh, that's all the one. <laughs> I got most guys that talk this year. That's been easier to answer than the first one. Uh, uh-uh, see, no, I'm vice versa right now. Who, who could I not? Pierre, I could, I couldn't be in quarantine with Pierre. Pierre, Desire, I couldn't be in quarantine with Desire. <laughs> like. If you if you ever see me and him interact, I play the aggravating big brother role with him. Like every time I see him, I just feel like I got to aggravate him. And every time he see me, he feel like he got to aggravate me. So <laughs> Dude, sometimes it's just like that, you know? Yeah, that's my boy though. That's my little bro though. <laughs> <laughs> just just not for three to four months. No, not no. Not not all at one time. Not all at one time. Um what is what is a hidden talent or something that about you or something you could do that no one else knows or maybe people wouldn't guess i can draw pretty well if i had to say so myself what do you like to draw i like to draw anime honestly like cartoony i'm a cartoony drawer like if i see a cartoon or something like i'm gonna want to draw it couple final things for you bringing it back to back to the field uh you mentioned tennessee one of your best memories of playing at tennessee a couple years ago what what was that specific memory that stands out to you from knoxville uh one memory was piron making that crazy play on um kickoff return you know they had an onside kick and he went up against four guys it was one v four and he just went up and grabbed the ball like just took it like manhandled it and then on my end you know it was making that long run towards the end of the game you know i was mm. a freshman i would get my little burn sign but hey i made the most of it though <laughs> it <was fun>. <laughs> <laughs> and um you know just having just having the stadium like tennessee quiet you know that was that was a big you know memory because like the whole week before everybody like Yo, this one of the loudest stadiums we gonna be in. This one of the loudest stadiums we gonna be in. And we get them. You know, we play we play our ball, you know, we got them quiet. Yeah, that's it was quiet very early. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, it'll probably be a, a little quieter than normal this week also, obviously, because they can't have as many fans there. Um, even without the crowds though, what are some of the biggest challenges of playing on the road? at places like Tennessee that, that have that history about them, even if at the moment it isn't what it would normally be? Uh, you know, artificial noise is sometimes louder than the real noise. Really? Yeah, like, that's that's one thing people don't understand. Like, it might it might seem like it's quiet out there, but, like, most of the time that artificial noise is really loud, honestly. So, like, that's, that's, that's a little bit of adversity. But, you know, other than that, you know, other than the artificial noise, you know, it's, relatively quiet you know we can hear it's kind of fun to be honest with you like it feel like it's like you playing backyard football with on um, pads on 
Mm-hmm. Honestly, like you hear everybody, y'all can talk trash. Like you can definitely talk trash out there. Everybody talking trash. Like you just hear it. It's funny sometimes. <laughs> and like you feel me? Like everything. Like it's like another side of football that we haven't like really ever, ever been there been able to see before yeah because you know a crowd noise you know you're not gonna be able to hear like all the content and all the on um, dialogue on the field but like now that it's quiet like you you hear like you hear guys talking trash that you didn't even know was like that right <laughs> yeah <laughs> who's the most surprising person you've heard talking trash you didn't know that that, that was part of their uh, part of their arsenal kyle trash Kyle Trask. <laughs> what is see i i can't pick what what is kyle trask trash talk even sound like it's funny look that's so funny <laughs> okay so like say somebody come up <laughs> hypothetically speaking say somebody come up to kyle and be like yo kyle you suck yeah buddy look at the scoreboard 36 <laughs> y'all you need some help you need some help <laughs> like you feel me something like that like but the fact that he even talking trash is the funny like that's the funny part like kyle is talking trash bro like this cool, calm, and collected dude, like who's really like quiet. If you think about it, just out there talking trash. Right. That's funny. That's true. What What's it been like being a part of you know not just this season that you guys are having, but obviously he's having a special year. He's in the Heisman conversation. How much pride do you take in the work that that you're doing to help elevate both him and the entire team? No, um, no, that's my guy. You know, anything I can do to help him, I'm gonna do. You no, know, especially on the field. And, you know, that's just part of being a great teammate, you know, being a great brother. You know, that's how everybody feels in the program. You know, we, we all want to see each other win. We all want to see each other be successful. And, um, and our team goals, for the most part, align with our personal goals. And, you know, everything just works out fine. Final question for you. you know, Coach Mullen said after the Kentucky game that the offense wasn't as efficient as he wanted it to be. What are some of the, the focuses this week in practice to, to address that and play the way that you guys want to play? Mm. For one, well, for starters, no penalties on first down. Especially, you know, no, we don't want any penalties at all, but especially not on first down. You know, we don't want to play behind the sticks. You know, that was a problem we faced Saturday. Uh, be better on third down. You know, we got to convert better. You know, we just got to, you know, we just got to make our plays, honestly. You know, it wasn't nothing, nothing really too bad. Like, it wasn't too major. And um, lastly, I just say, uh, play poise. You know, sometimes we go out there, we be trying to, like, that's one thing about it. Like, we, we want to make the big play. Like, we want to make the big play. But, like, trying to make the big play can sometimes, you know, be bad for us because we're trying to do too much rather than um, just simply execute our play. You know, just we just got to play calm. You know, we got to play our ball, bro. We play our ball, we're going to be fine. Well, Damien, it was a lot of fun. Thank you for, uh, for talking to us here tonight, and uh, good luck this weekend in Knoxville. Thank you, man. Have a good one. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Florida takes on Rocky Top Saturday at 3.30 on CBS and the Gator Sports Network from Learfield IMG College. Then come back here next week for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Stay safe and go Gators.